Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Yeah, I mean, that's just what I'll continue to communicate and be a leader on this and, uh, you know, just kind of tell guys, like, hey, let the play off the adrenaline. You know, when you get adrenaline, play off of it. You know, don't, be, don't, don't be shy away from it. Uh, bring it on. Uh, this is what you play the game for. You want to be in these situations. You want to be facing the best teams in the league. You want to be in races. You, know, you got to rise to the occasion and match it. Um, so to have a uh, you know atmosphere like this tonight, uh, playing in this type of environment, uh, it's only good to you know continue playing this and uh, you know and, and feed off of it and, and keep this rolling. What does that series show you about this team? Considering you know not just how hot the Braves were, but but without two of your four All Stars in the lineup all three days. Well, I'll let y'all kind of weigh in on that, but uh, nothing that uh, I didn't already you know feel confident about that our guys you know they're a very competitive group. And they don't have to tell anybody about it. They try to show you. So I'm real proud of the pitching here. Really good offensive team. And uh, Chris was the difference today. You know, he, had, he had a great outing. I wouldn't say downplaying. It's more so just being realistic that, yeah, I mean, these games are awesome to win just because it kind of widens the gap a little bit. But um, it, it, it doesn't mean a ton in the, in the long run just because – uh, I would say the most important games are at the very end of the year. So, um, yeah, it helps us in the standings. But um, the next game, I mean, against Chicago, is just as important as today's game. So, um, yeah. 
again, so much changes um, between injuries, someone getting hot or someone getting cold. So um, it's really cool to project, like, like saying, yeah, we can come in here and win. But again, the biggest series will be at the end of the year. And um, there's, there's so many factors that can change by then. So um, it's just a good win now. And that's basically it. What is the significance of taking two out of three of the Braves? Uh, you know, it feels good. Uh, just kind of, you know, I feel like the, the vibe was like everybody's freaking out outside of this clubhouse. So uh, I'm sure it feels good for everybody to see that the season is not over. Um, no, I'm kidding. But, uh, <laughs> so no, it's been uh, it was it was a lot of fun uh, to play uh, a series uh, against a team that's uh, neck and neck against us, and um, we look forward to seeing them again. So I guess you guys have heard the noise that the season ended last week. Yeah, we just joke about it, so we don't really take too much thought into it. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Thursday, July the 14th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and you can show it up for podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and I want to welcome in the fan-sided podcasting network, and as always, RisingApple.com. Yes, this will be a short, I promise you. I cannot stay on the normal time, and I know every time I come to you with these, I guess, special editions of the show, the not the normal Sunday edition of the show, uh, I say, hey, it's going to be a short, I look up, 55 minutes later, you have yourself a regular show, but... I felt compelled to come to you, and I wasn't planning on it, because as you know, going into the series, we had a nice double dip on Sunday. We had the Keith Hernandez, the Ode to Number 17 podcast, and then we prepared for the Mets-Braves showdown. The first a series of, well, the first meeting on Monday was the first of 15 uh, contests between now and the end of the season. We had our friend, uh, former Mets beat reporter, and now he's with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Justin Toscano preview and give us a feel of the Braves from the Atlanta point of view as we all prepared for this, uh, what was a big series, but uh, I think it was made out to be more by, especially the fans, maybe a little bit by the media, by the fans. And then after watching the last three days, the last 72 hours and watching this team and the montage of quotes that you heard coming in from Max Scherzer and Chris Bassett and Buck Showalter and of course, uh, Tomas Nito taking a little shot at Mets Twitter there in the final uh, clip. I thought that was funny. Uh, the panoramic of comments, the what what transpired really compelled me to to come here and, and put a bow on things. And as you look at the schedule going forward, the first half is ending in just a few days. We'll obviously recap the first half. But I think this series really deserved its own attention, even though the Mets will be playing the Cubs later today into a four-game series to wrap up the first half, or the unofficial first half, out in Chicago. I said nothing would be decided this week, and, and that's true. Nothing was decided at all. 
Uh, all that you saw here was two very good teams going at it and playing a, no, not late season, but later-ish three-game series. From the Mets' side, I think we already knew, or at least the, those in the clubhouse, and Buck said it, knew who they were. But even though we're at a point where we call it the what-does-this-team-need portion of the season, you guys know, listen all the time, first couple of months is you getting to know the team, the next couple of months is what does this team need and how do you go get it, how do you make it a championship contender, and then the last part of the season is just go get it, get it done, which you're almost there. Even though that clubhouse and that manager and that front office all knew, knows who this team is and has a lot of confidence in who this team is, I think the fans still needed some proof. And maybe the media needed some proof. Now, I think there was some really good columns out there. Mike Vaccaro, the Post, put something out there earlier today. John Harper over at uh, SNY.TV yesterday did a nice recap of the series. The Mets, let's just put it this way. This series, the Mets were set up for the narrative. That I, I felt that going in. I, I, I prepared you for it on Sunday. I don't like to talk negative because you never know, but... Look, they were set up for failure. They were missing two key offensive cogs. When you looked at those lineups with Jankowski in it and Nito, and you know, you're thinking about, well, Inciarte play a big uh, portion, Escobar struggling. Uh, you just said to yourself, with two key components missing, a hot Atlanta team, they're on the road. It's like a, a, a freight train coming at you. You knew that everybody was waiting for the Mets to, you know, basically get steamrolled and. Today would have been a much different conversation. Would I have come to you? I don't know. I know that we kind of set up, I think, perspective ahead of time because I I really thought they'd struggle this series. I thought it was a lot to ask with McNeil out and Marte out. And and you're asking four or five guys, some of which were very, very hot. There are obviously guys like Alonzo and, and, and Nimmo and so on and so forth, you know, and Lindor. Uh, maybe they would regress to the mean. You were facing some of their tougher pitchers. And look, Going back to the Miami series, Alcantara and some of their young arms, and now you had Strider this series, Morton, a a veteran that I've always liked, who I wanted the Mets to get, and Max Fried, who has really stepped it up to another level, was always a very tough pitcher, even when he was young and trying to figure it out. And these are night in and night out. The Mets are going to be facing really good pitching. But I mean... When I saw narratives going back to 1999 or the collapse of 2007 or even what's silly enough, last year when guys like Cana was in Oakland and Escobar was in Arizona and Scherzer was in Washington and then L.A. and Bassett was in Oakland. And, and a lot of what was brought up last year, yes, Pete Alonso and Lindor and McNeil and Diaz and guys like that were here. But the reason you mix things up in the offseason when teams don't meet expectations is because you don't want people that – were part of whatever bad was going on prior to their arrival. That's why you bring new people in. I don't think Mark Canna would know what happened last year or care what happened last year uh, if it hit him in the head. I mean, that's the way he comes across in interviews. 1999, like Mike Vaccaro pointed out, I think Chris Bassett was 10 years old. Alonzo was 13. You think a 13-year-old Pete Alonzo was worried about Andrew Jones? You think, you, you think that that's in his mind when he goes up to the plate? Uh, this is a professional team. We said this already. It's a tough team. I think it's a very tough team. And I think the most important thing from Buck is they've really got this balance, not to get too high, not to get too low, worry about today. And I think that drives some of the fans nuts because the nature of fandom and media 
is to get up for big games. And believe me, they were up for this game. Like, if you read between the lines, you have buckets saying never get too high, never get too low, because you don't put your eggs all in the basket of emotion in July. I mean, there's there's must-wins at times during the regular season. Very rarely do, do these must-wins come in April, May, June, July. Uh, and, and, and in a situation where you have three wild cards, there really is, from a context of postseason, there's really not a lot of must-wins. I mean, especially when you're 21 games over 500 and the guys in the wild card are hovering at 500 or slightly above. It's going to take a lot. And, and look, you saw it last year, going back to that, take a lot for this thing to swing the other way. They do a lot of little unsexy things. I, you laugh because Guillerme is batting cleanup. But when they build these lineups, they're just trying to manufacture enough runs. And they show they could thump a little bit. You still have Lindor, who I think is frustrating because the contract is still in people's minds, but having a really solid year on both sides of the ball. Alonzo is Alonzo. Uh, you're hoping that Escobar, who was really brought here to provide some more power, he has not, can start to get hot, at least do that. And the funny thing is, I thought the funniest part maybe of the three days is they're actually hearing the silliness. For the first time, now last year, this team had a chip on their shoulder. And I said, it's good to have a chip on your shoulder, but sometimes that could be unhealthy. And it was unhealthy. But Tomas Nito, and you heard in the clip, basically called out Mets Twitter. Last year, that would be met with a stern lecture from a Marcus Stroman. This year, Nito's basically joking about it. Is there any more proof after that comment, that clip that you heard, the yoke that I've talked about around this team's neck that goes back to their last championship is real? It's real, and the players know it. Now, they're not thinking about it, but coming here, the expectations, the desire to win, the pressure from the fans, the negativity and stress and anxiety that happens every time there's a pothole in the road. Forget about a thunderbolt. We make use the thunderbolt term around here. A pothole. Not having McNeil because of paternity leave. And yeah, he's entitled to paternity leave. Let's not even... I mean, the fact that this is even a talk radio thing that I saw floating around the internet tells you how much trouble talk radio is in when that still is a conversation. And Marte with a day-to-day situation. The fact that those are potholes on the Yellow Brick Road. They're not thunderbolts. Losing to Grom for more than half the season, that's a thunderbolt. That's when you're walking on the Yellow Brick Road and bam... You get a big thunderbolt fall in front of you, and you're like, whoa, I got to climb over this crater. McNeil on paternity leave is a pothole. You go around it. Eh, maybe you have to fix your tire a little bit. The alignment gets out. Maybe that's a new bingo card, the, the Yellow Brook Road and the potholes and everything. You guys, are, you guys are good at figuring out where I am when it comes to some of the quirkiness of this program. So um, I, I, the funny they, – they, they almost went out there and consciously said, you know, we're going to show these – blankety blanks who we are because clearly on july 14th they still don't know who we are now i knew who they were i think those who are on who listen to this program knew who they were but history recent history the last decade uh you know whatever you want to go back to there's always that thought in your head as a mets fan that and we always say how history kind of dictates the future but in this case history when you have the participants who uh, are parts of that narrative, going back to guys like uh, Kenny Rogers, who hasn't thrown a pitch, what, in a decade plus? Sometimes you can take history too literally and, too, and, and really make it too loose. But all seriousness, there are really good signs as you look into what this team needs to assess what they need. And, and in, I think right now, I, I want to be clear, when we assess what they need, 
that's not just about getting into the tournament because they're going to be in the tournament. Short of major thunderbolts, they're going to be in the tournament. Now it's about how serious are they about winning the tournament. See, last year I never said it was a championship team. I said it was a tournament team. I said, you get in the tournament, you got a solid starter in Walker and Stroman. DeGrom in a series is going to give you a chance two out of five games or three out of seven games, hopefully maybe two and a half out of seven games to, to win a series. But that doesn't mean that you're favored. That means you're a pest. Now this team should be favored in some series, maybe against everybody but the Dodgers. And I think the Braves is pretty much a coin flip. And I'll get to the two teams, so I thought you saw contrasting styles as well. But now you've got to look at this team and say, what realistically are you looking at in terms of October baseball team? What is this team going to look like in a five or seven or three game if they don't make the they don't win the division series? I think one of the first positive signs, and I'll go on the offensive side, as much as they're not really living up to the 5.2, 5.3 runs per game that our calculators said back in spring training because of this. And the biggest part, I think, is the significant under underperformance of the DH spot, probably primarily. And then Escobar not even giving you an average year. I mean, Escobar has regressed significantly. So those two things, in my opinion, have hurt. Forget the catching situation. You weren't really getting... I wasn't calculating a lot from either of those guys. Not as bad as they've been offensively, but not calculating a lot. They're doing what they have to do with the glove. They're not doing that. They're not working... They're not um, They're not at that 5.2, 5.3. They need a bat to get there. They need a DH bat to get there. But they worked counts. I mean, the one thing they did this the last three days, they knew against Freed and and Morton and especially Strider that maybe they were a little undermanned with the Jankowskis in the lineup. But if they worked the count and got them out, as good as the Braves' bullpen is with the Minters and the Jansons and uh, you know, guy, you know, Colin McHugh and guys like that, you're still in a good spot if you get to the bullpen in the sixth inning because, A, they're going to burn guys. B, you're still not at the level of elite starter going into your, the sixth inning bullpen, regardless how good a bullpen is. So you have a chance at, at scoring against those guys. And that's what happened in the first game. To a certain degree, that's what happened in the second game, uh, to the last game. And in the middle, uh, Strider bended, but he didn't break, and, and the Mets couldn't get that done. But they got him out, and they gave themselves a chance to win. The other big thing I think you saw in the last few days, and I don't agree with Andy Martino saying that Scherzer's the best, the most transformative free agent in Mets history. I think if you want to just talk free agency, I think Pedro Martinez is in that conversation. I think Carlos Beltran is in that conversation. Because to where the Mets were late in 04, post-Scott Kazmir trade, with those guys coming in in 05, the night and day of where the team was, the gap is far wider than where they were before Thanksgiving when Scherzer wasn't even a thought this past year, this past offseason. And then after Thanksgiving, going into the holidays when they signed Scherzer and shocked me because I didn't think they'd go to that end of the market. Uh, that was a different type of move. I think it definitely was a culture changer. But I think they already had a, a their sights set on a different type of individual, a different type of personality 
a, a, a different type of player. Instead of character and color, they wanted professionalism and experience and guys who have, I mean, look, you got a ton of type A personalities on that team. I mean, this series, you saw both Bassett and Scherzer. Those are type A personalities. Scherzer basically, give me the ball. I'm going to get this done. Bassett, now that he's got Batman in front of him, he doesn't have to be the ace. I think that's really, I personally, I think the bad five-game stretch was Bassett feeling like he had to be an ace. But a star like Scherzer, as you heard, talking about the big game, embracing the pressure, embracing these kind of situations, a guy that saw a lot in Detroit, in Washington, the Nats were as much maligned with playoff failures when he came over in 2015 and had failures that year when they lost to the Mets that he's been down this road. He's pitched in big games in different cities in the World Series. This, what, three games in Atlanta in July, you think he's going to phase him? It's not. So when you have those kind of guys, give me the ball, and you're going to potentially add DeGrom to that mix, the real maestro. I mean, one, two, three, you haven't even got to, all of a sudden, Taiwan Walker seems to want to join the party. I mean, to I think the impact of a Scherzer, not only with what he did on the field, but the fact that he's in that dugout chirping away and, and, and really almost, I feel like a pitching coach, it's huge. So maybe Martino's onto something by saying that whole thing about Scherzer. I don't want to get into that debate because it doesn't matter. But yeah, Scherzer's important. He's important because he's an elite pitcher. I could argue he's better than DeGrom, and that's an argument for maybe another day. But I think the impact and the standard he's setting and the help that he's giving these guys when the thinking perspective of pitching. I mean, he's a, you listen to him talk. I mean, the guy knows how to pitch. He's a talented, but it's not like he's a perfect pitcher or that he makes perfect pitches every time out. I mean, how he talked about Rosario putting all the chips to the center of the table in game one and that when he struck Rosario, I think it was the seventh inning, and knowing when I think he was throwing a changeup in that situation, if I remember correctly, knowing that if he hung that and didn't execute it, that uh, that ball was going to go to the moon. I mean, that's a guy who, who understands the situation he's in and what he has to do and how he has to go about winning a ball game. You saw the... Bad side of the Mets. You saw the bullpen still is a bend. It bent a little bit. It didn't break. I think what we learned and what we knew, but that's really crystallizing itself about what they need is Drew Smith, Adam Adovino, not even getting to Lugo because I don't know what to expect out of Lugo. I think he's still useful, but I don't think the leverage is the same in terms of when you could put him in. The guys that you have the bridge, Tommy Hunter to a lesser degree, they're good sixth and seventh inning guys. I think they're guys that need a little bit of margin of error. So you have a one nothing game, seventh inning, or let's say eighth inning. None of those guys are locked down. The Mets need to see, can they go out and get a lockdown guy? That's not going to be easy. Even if you bring in a Chafin or a Robertson, I don't know if I would call them a lockdown. I think they're improvements. The real question is, are there arms out there kind of like how the White Sox brought in Kimbrel last year, that are pseudo-closers that could give you a better feel. And you're not going to be Diaz, because nobody's going to be Diaz outside of maybe Josh Hader in this, in this game right now. But can they give you more certainty in the eighth inning, that you're not holding your breath, that you don't feel like, well, Adovino's as likely to get a 1-2-3 inning. Uh, he's as likely to have a couple of walks and a home run as he is to get a 1-2-3 inning. Drew Smith, I like him. 
but it seems like he's a home run and outing type of guy. Yeah, Austin Riley's a great hitter, but even against Miami on Sunday, I can't remember who it was, almost hit one out. But that's heartbreak. Tommy Hunter, at this point in his career, I don't think he's high leverage. I think he's what you saw yesterday. He could eat an inning when you're up five runs. So you kind of know, and then Lugo's the guy that's the most disappointing because that's the guy you thought was your second closer, and he's not. So you... You really, you really saw that come to, uh, to pass. But the blueprint, and it's always been there. It's been there, and I think your first four to five to six weeks, really up until when Scherzer got hurt, the blueprint was perfectly outlined about what this team is, what they want to be, and how they get a win in October. And that is a strong six to seven innings from their starters, a dominant ninth inning from their closer, Diaz, who very well might be this team's MVP. You could talk Pete, you could talk Scherzer, you could talk whoever, Marte, Nimmo. The fact that you have as close to a lockdown ninth inning on a team that has not at times been able to score at the highest level that we thought they could, that is not able to maybe add the extra 6th, 7th, 8th run in certain ball games. Because like I said, you're against the 2nd Division Club, the Nats, the Marlins, Cubs, whoever. You're in a 4-3 game, 8th or ninth inning. That's a big league team. Those are professional hitters. It's a game. I don't care what the, 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 the standing says at that point. When you add on and tack on the runs, it's a different ball game. That's why I think Diaz might be the MVP here. So you got the strong 6-7 to seven innings, the dominant ninth. You got to figure out 3, 4, 5, 6 outs. Hopefully only 3, sometimes, you know, 4 and 5. You want to push Bassett and... And Scherzer maybe a tick into the seventh inning as you get later in the year or in a postseason game. And that's your formula. And it's a good formula because those first six innings could be really electric. Like you saw with Scherzer, like you saw with Bassett. Look, teams going to score zero one, you know, a couple runs, maybe tops. Mets should be able to be ahead going in late innings. That's what they want to be in a postseason game. So they don't have to worry about a mentors of the world or the, that Jansen's coming in. Because when you start facing, and I'll get to Atlanta now on this, you start facing these teams in their elite bullpen arms who are not as shaky as maybe the Mets versions, it's going to be hard to score against them, even with the best hitters coming up, the Peets and the Martes and McNeils and whatnot. Now, I got to see Atlanta for the first time since earlier in the year. And when you watch a team, even a team that's a world champion, and you watch any team in April and early May, they're kind of figuring themselves out too. Just like the Mets were in the getting-to-know phase, so were, so was Atlanta. So I didn't really take away a ton early, good or bad, other than uh, they're a pretty tough team, but I think they're beatable. That's what my take was back at City Field. It was early May or whenever they played the series. Now things have crystallized much more, and you got to see who Atlanta is. Atlanta is a tough team. They got a lot of power. Now that ballpark... And humidity, and I think somebody tweeted at me that they live in the area and it's very windy out there, so the wind takes things off, amplifies a lot of what would already be a hitter's ballpark. It's actually, I think, not as bad as when it first opened. When it first opened, I felt like anything in the air had a chance to go out. And I don't know if because they've added, I think they've done some uh, infrastructure changes around the ballpark. And if, you, if you're around the ballpark and you want to email me, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Mike Silva at TalkAboutsPodcast.com. Maybe some, and I think people forget just like how City Field is near where Shea Stadium was, but it's at a different angle. That's got to change the the whole ball carrying. Yeah, different wind currents, different directions. 
I mean, I don't know. You put a couple buildings out in the outfield behind, you know, the outfield. Does it change the wind? I don't know. I'm throwing things out that I know nothing about. And there might be someone who says, Mike, you're a dope. Uh, I, I'm a, you know, I know science and I'm a high level of, of knowledge of science. And here's why this was a stupid comment, maybe. But it's something I'm throwing out there. I don't think it's as much of a, a homer ballpark as it was uh, when it first opened. The ball, the, the the MLB ball, we know that that's part of it. So maybe, but but it's the ball still carries. They have a really good bullpen, Atlanta. They do. I mean, guy like McHugh is a guy that I really wanted the Mets to go after. I think that's the one thing I could criticize Billy Epler, and I don't know if it was budget, uh, the feeling they could get, you know, spend their money uh, elsewhere and figure out the bullpen, you know, the lockout, whatever it was. I thought that they made a mistake because they could have had a guy like Robertson and McHugh as free agents, not even worry about can we trade for these kind of guys. It would have been there, and maybe the needs would have been far less, and we're having a different conversation. Their starters are good, Atlanta. Strider was impressive, but the Mets wore them down. Do they have the experience outside of Charlie Morton, who might not be on the right side of age? There's no Scherzer in that rotation. There's no DeGrom in that rotation. You go head-to-head games one, games two. That's who you're facing in a series. And the lineups are starkly different. The Braves didn't work counts. You could get them out, and they're looking to swing from the fences. And I think the Braves are almost like a fighter that wanted to come out and deck the Mets, and the Mets just kind of held back and said, all right, come after me, and dink, 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 bam. So things could change. You have I'm going to call it five games in August over a, a nice long weekend, a, a four-day weekend, five games in four days in August. Justin Siscano talked about it. That might be where the real rub is. That might be where we really figure out, are the Mets going to win this division? And the Braves might have said, they're they're looking and saying, hmm, that Mets team is a lot different. They've been having a home run derby with the Natses of the world and the Marlins, and I know they've played the Cardinals and the Dodgers and the Giants, but for the most part, it felt like Atlanta was playing teams that just weren't up to their level. And they, they destroyed them, as they should, as the Mets should as well, as they play Chicago now over the next few days. So maybe the Braves are looking at it and saying, you know, this Mets team, now I get them, so I have to change my approach. And that's why the mindset, Scherzer pushing them to embrace the pressure, to embrace the big game. Bassett saying, yeah, cool what's going on here, but tomorrow's important too. So that they don't have what teams tend to have inexperienced teams have where they have this big series with Atlanta, then they go out and lay a goose egg in Chicago and they go into the all-star break limping and all the goodwill goes away. I don't see this team as doing that. I don't see them in, in that in that vein. So we had to learn a little more about the Mets. We meaning the fans, the media, whatever you want to call this program. I knew who they were. The people who really listen to this program and understand what this program is about knew who they were. That clubhouse, the most important people, the only people that have to really know who they are, the New York Mets, are the people in that clubhouse. And it wasn't in the montage. It wasn't in the clips. But Buck said, and you can go look it up, that he didn't, you know, he said something to the effect, well, I don't I want to speak about Atlanta, about them being ready for a 12 o'clock game. But I can tell you what our guys were. This team wanted to win that series. Now, they may be telling you it's only another series, but I think they knew the importance in the sense where winning this series shorthanded, even though you're confident and you know who you are as a team, it does give you that validation that, hey, man, no Marte, no McNeil, big offensive 
piece is missing. And we can go beat Atlanta two out of three with a couple of their best starters on the mound and still know DeGrom. Now, yeah, the Mets were lined. It wasn't like Trevor Williams was pitching and Carrasco. I mean, it, it lined up with the Mets neutralized some of the offensive uh, drop-off that they were facing. But still, it's not easy. As I said in the open coming in, this was set up for the narrative. It was set up, and I got to tell you, I wouldn't be surprised if there were members of the media that had their columns written. They were ready. They had a version which came out, which is, hey, this team is, you know, the, and I'm not saying Mike did this, but you have the Mike Vaccaro kind of column, which is, hey, this team showed us why the past and the yoke that's around their neck, they're, they're not phased by it. And then, you know, the John Harper talking about how Lindor is stepping up and, and how they work the counts and, and things like that. I guarantee you there are members of the media that have the exact same column, but on the opposite side, ready to scorch this team. Now, I'm not in the camp. You know, you go on Baseball Night in New York and you hear the Salicatas of the world. Ah, this is why the Mets are going to win the division. I am not ready to crown them division champions. They have a long way to go. Their schedule's tough. It doesn't get any easier. This is about as easy as it gets in the near future. This is Chicago. And, and anybody who's a baseball fan that knows baseball knows going into Wrigley Field, regardless of how bad the Cubs are, good home field advantage. If the weather's good, I don't know what the weather's going to be in Chicago this weekend. They'll probably get good crowds. Uh, even though it's not always about baseball in Wrigleyville, it's about the experience that still energizes the home team, and anything could happen. So if you, th- the, even though these are the lighter part of the schedule, lighter games on the schedule over the next few weeks, they're not. Nothing's easy. You got San Diego coming up. You got the Subway Series. They got to go back to Miami. Those guys are total pests. And look at the Reds. Bad team going to Yankee Stadium, competing and winning a game. That's why you can never script this stuff. You have to continue, as Bassett said. Move forward, continue to do the things, play with the same intensity and the same fundamentals and the same mindset, whether it's the Cubs, the Reds, or Atlanta. And then you look up at the end of the year, and all of a sudden you have a division champion, and you know we'll see what they do to improve the team. We really know what this team is now. We did, but I think we really know. And I think there are many skeptics who were still not on board with what I've been saying for a long time. And we know what they need, and it's achievable. Listen to the baseball show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. Sandy Alderson was on it. Sandy essentially said, they're looking at those Nats stars in the division. They don't want to, They want a DH. They don't want to give up a prospect for the DH, so that gives you the inkling. They probably are not going to go out and spend on starting pitching because they like what they have, and they really could use some bullpen help. In a way, Sandy and what he did in 2015 at the deadline with Kelly Johnson and Juan Uribe – and Tyler Clippard, and Addison Reed. That blueprint is very similar. The 2015 blueprint that reinforced a Mets team, where they needed a bat, they went out and they got a couple of bats, a lesser bats. Now they got a star in Cespedes. I'm not saying they need Cespedes on this team, although an elite offensive player like that at the DH spot, Josh Bell perhaps, would be nice. I don't know if he would come cheap. I still think taking on Corbin's contract and saying, I'll take Bell, I'll take that contract off. I wonder if there's a value in Washington for that with the team being sold and Soto potentially needing to be paid. That's a thought. Are they willing to do it? Because there's ramifications of that on the Mets side. They could lose somebody after the year for that. Bigger dialogue on that as we go forward. And maybe we'll we'll dive into that at a future show. So that's where, you know, that's where we're at. We learned a lot about this club. 
and a lot of good stuff. And we know now that they are not only aware of the yoke around their neck that we talk about, they're embracing it. Now they're making fun of it. I mean, what better mindset can you get out of a group of guys? So anyway, that's it. I promise you a short. It's a brave new world. That's the name of the, the program today, a brave new world. This is not your father's Braves Mets series. It's not the Braves Mets series that we saw, you know, in times in 98 and 97 and 99 and even maybe a year ago. A year ago, it you could easily see how in a situation like this, this Mets team might have just went in like they did in early August when they were struggling and and things kind of, and you saw against the, the, the Dodgers and the Giants when they had their issues last, last summer, things just spiraled out of control and the season spiraled out of, out of control. This team is not interested in that kind of narrative. They're not interested in that kind of situation. Play today, win today, move on. And the, the all-star break could come at a better time. I think this team needs a blow and away you go. So what's next? I came to you right after this Brave series. We will do a first half recap show I've got some history coming to you in the next week or so. A great segment. I'm not going to tell you much about it now. Subway series. We got a lot to get into over the next week. So, yes, we will have a first half recap show. I'm not sure if it'll be Sunday night or maybe I'll come to you on Monday on one of the days off. I'm debating how this is going to happen. So stay tuned. There'll be more content coming up. And uh, at least this will tide you over a little bit. So anyway, want to thank everybody for joining me. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show an Apple Podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I want to thank the good folks from the Fan Side of Podcasting Network as well as RisingApple.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy your weekend. We'll be recapping the first half in a few days. Till then, take care. of postage rate increases this year with stamps.com it's like your own personal post office sign up with promo code program for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale no long-term commitments or contracts that's stamps.com code program